The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. There's no crying in baseball! No crying! And this game's underway. Into the windup of his first offering. Just a bit outside. Here's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos. It will be a home run. Oh, my God. God. Deep to right field. Way up there. High, oh, high. And look who's coming up. You talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. Here's the payoff pitch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome in to Payoff Pitch, Action Network's MLB betting podcast. We are presented by BetMGM, the king of sports books. Brendan Glasheen joined by Sean Zarillo, Anthony DeBundo, and BJ Cunningham, a four-person show for our World Series preview episode. We're coming to you on a Thursday, October 26th. World Series starts Friday the 27th. Tomorrow, we'll have Tanner McGrath and Charlie Disturco joining the program. So we will get to game one of this World Series between the Diamondbacks and the Rangers in terms of best bets from Zarillo, DeBundo, and BJ. You can follow these guys in the Action app. They already have plays posted. Anything they add as the World Series unfolds, find them there. We are here for the rest of the week, and we'll be back Monday, Tuesday, as long as there's games going on. And even on those off days, we'll probably have preview shows. So stay tuned for that. If you haven't done so already, please leave a five-star rating and review. We are handing out another free one-year subscription to Action Pro at the beginning of next week. I think we'd get one more week out of this as long as the World Series is going on. Uh, Seeing how these playoffs have unfolded, uh, who knows what we're going to get in this uh, World Series between the Rangers and Diamondbacks. It still kind of feels weird to say those teams out loud. Um, Without further ado, let's dive in. Rangers, Diamondbacks. Rangers are favorites to win the series, minus 174. D-backs hovering in that plus 145, plus 150 range. Zarillo, I'll go to you first. Uh, Just general thoughts. We'll go quickly around the horn here. Just general thoughts on the matchup when you look at lineup, starting pitching, bullpen, running game. How do you piece it all together? So in terms of the lines, the props, the series price, the World Series odds, whatever you want to break it down by, but the overall series uh, pricing seems about right to me. I made Texas about 60% for the series, so minus 152. So there is no value on either side of the series line. Arizona closer to being the value side. Saw some plus 155s out there. I'd want closer to about plus 165 to plus 170 in order to bet them to win the series. So 
pass for me are in the series pricing. Arizona closer to the value side. Uh, again, no value in terms of like the Arizona minus or plus one and a half, Texas minus one and a half games. All of the pricing on that seemed right to me. I made that about plus 133, minus 133 for Arizona plus one and a half. So again, no matter where you shop around, I saw Arizona uh, plus one and a half at like minus 145 and Texas minus one and a half at about plus 120. So no value in those markets, Texas to 143, any of that stuff. In terms of breaking it down, I do think the starting pitching matchup is really close. If not, would even give a slight edge to Arizona. It's very close. Uh, the bullpens too, very close. And I think in the bullpen game that we saw Arizona play out against the Phillies twice, particularly in game four though, I think if both teams need to go to a bullpen game in game four, which is an issue for both teams, Texas would start presumably Andrew Heaney or Dane Dunning, piggyback the other. Uh, Arizona would just go full bullpen, right? Um, I would give Arizona a bullpen advantage in that game four. Now, whether they go to game seven and do the same thing, or whether they, Texas potentially starts Nathan Eovaldi on short rest in game four, and then again in game seven, or uses him out of the bullpen in game seven, all things to consider with how this might play out a little bit differently than we anticipate. But at the end of the day, I still think the pitching is fairly comparable. Uh, Brandon Fott going against like a banged up Max Scherzer, right? That's a pretty close matchup. Gallon against Eovaldi. Kelly against Montgomery, I actually may give an edge to Kelly. So I have shown no value largely on this Rangers team throughout the playoffs, but once on them, once against them, but it's been pretty neutral and I've been in alignment with the market with them all along. It comes down to their offense and they actually project as a slightly better defensive team too than Arizona, which may not show up in the season long numbers, but their lineup is better. Their position players are better. I think the pitching is very comparable and it's going to come down to whether Arizona can shut down this offense because it is a deeper offense. They hit one through nine. Jonah Heim is good at cutting down runners. And uh, we'll see whether Eovaldi can keep those runners in check, whether Dunning and the other guys in this rotation, Scherzer, can keep the runners in check. Um, because Arizona does need to continue to push itself on the base pass, probably, because they're at a power discrepancy in this matchup. So they're going to need Christian Walker to hit some home runs to stay in this series. They're going to need to find ways you know, to get runs on the board other than power, because Texas does have the power advantage. Uh, and I'm also curious to see, particularly in that game three, you know, we saw Brandon Fott, right? We talked about it before game seven, talked about it not as much before game three, but it played out in game three where Brandon Fott was just getting the Phillies to chase outside of the zone over and over and over again. And the five strikeouts that he got in game seven, all five of them were outside of the strike zone. He got a called strike low on Schwarber. The other four were chases and swings and misses over the top. So I'm curious to see how this Texas team approaches him. And if they're much more patient with him and don't let him get their strikeouts on pitches outside of the zone. And I would tend to think that they would. This lineup has been very patient all postseason. They're very dangerous. They're deeper, as I said, compared to Arizona, but also they're just a little bit more patient. And they take a lot of pitches. And I don't know if guys like Brandon Fodder are going to get those chases. I don't know if guys like Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly, who throw a lot of pitches in the zone, if they're going to be able to get them by these Texas hitters. So, uh, yeah, it just comes down to the offensive advantage the lineup advantage that Texas has. I think Arizona can keep up with them in the pitching and maybe outpitch them, but I don't know if that's enough to come, overcome the offensive differential between these teams. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up chase rate because that allows me to introduce DeBundo. And now, Anthony, seeing that your Phillies are out and the Diamondbacks move forward, two teams that do chase in the Diamondbacks and, or they're just more aggressive, the Diamondbacks and the Phillies. What does that mean for the Diamondbacks and their pitching 
uh, facing a Texas team, as Zarillo said, that's a lot more patient. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when we go back and look at where we missed, right? Because like this podcast generally didn't believe much in Arizona. You know, we, we kind of liked them against Milwaukee, but we didn't think they'd get past the Dodgers, you know, especially Tanner. And then I didn't think they'd get past the Phillies. I don't think any of us thought they'd get past the Phillies. Where did we miss? And I think it was very clearly not the Arizona offense, but the Arizona run prevention unit that we missed on, right? Like this bullpen that we said like, well, it was kind of a league average bullpen all year. Well, when they shortened up the bullpen, Ginkle and Seawald and Thompson are pretty, very, pretty elite back three righties that they had. Uh, and Ginkle and Seawald have neither have allowed a run in the playoffs to this point. That's been really impressive to me. Also, did we miss on like just how good Gabriel Moreno is as a catcher? Because we know and we said like, look, this guy is excellent as a framer. He's a good game caller. He controls the running game really well. But I think maybe we underestimated the game calling and just the pitching strategy that the Diamondbacks had to basically take apart the Phillies offense from games three to seven outside of a couple of big home runs. So Moreno this season, when he started games, the Diamondbacks were a 60% win rate team. So you've heard a lot about how Arizona won 84 games, which is true. Uh, but they were 57 and 37 when Gabriel Moreno started games behind home plate. Uh, it's a pretty impressive record. And now in the playoffs, nine and three. So, you know, when you look at, you know, where we may have missed, I think that was it, right? Like this bullpen, when they trimmed it down and they added de at the deadline with Thompson and Seawald and got Ginkle right after he was tipping in the first half of the season, they've got enough. And the Rangers in the, in the same way, right? So like, did we overvalue how important it is to have a great bullpen? Because the Rangers have essentially rode three dudes, Spores, Chapman, and Leclerc, the whole playoffs. They have not really gone deeper than that. And when they have, it has not gone well for their bullpen. They've gotten pretty well rocked. So I think Zarello's right though. Like in a game four, I actually like the Arizona pitching situation more because I actually think Castro, Frias, and even like a Mantiply are better than the guys that, that Texas has right now. So I think that's the great equalizer. Two excellent catchers, uh, two guys who are, are you know pretty good at you know pitching strategy with, with the Rangers and the and the D-backs here. Uh, what do we miss on the Rangers? I think it is the patience of their offense waiting people out. The Diamondbacks were able to get the Phillies out. The Phillies have been in a very aggressive lineup all season long. Top seven in chase rate. They were willing to swing at pitches outside of the zone a lot. They tried to do damage early in counts. They are not a team that was going to work counts except for Schwarber and Harper. And those are the only two guys that really hit for the Phillies in the series. Now you fast forward. Texas just has a lot more options like Corey Seager, Evan Carter, Marcus Semien, even, you know, to a lesser extent, Josh Young, like these and Nate Lowe, like these guys all have excellent plate discipline. So it's going to be much harder, I think, for the, I'll say, average stuff that Arizona has to play up against a lineup that is so much deeper than the Phillies um, right now. So overall, I don't really have a strong opinion on the series price either side. Um, I think it's, you know, kind of a game by game series, but I am concerned about Zach Gallon. I don't think he's ha he's got his best stuff right now. You know, he threw a career high in innings by a long way this season. Now he's making his fifth playoff start on a Friday night and the stuff numbers just haven't been that impressive. You look at this stuff in the zone, like hasn't been getting whiffs. Uh, you know, the Phillies struck out a lot games three to seven. The one game they did not strike out was the game five against Gallon. They were on him pretty well uh, from the first inning. So I think there are some concerns about Gallon that, you know, have to be monitored. BJ, you were nodding your head when Zarello brought up 
that the pitching is pretty comparable on both sides. So how does that factor into your handicap for the series? Well, if you think about it, you know, Eovaldi has obviously pitched very, very well during this playoffs and you have to upgrade him a little bit because of those performances he's had. But given where he was over the second half of the season coming off of that forearm injury, I mean, you have to have some still question marks or not rate him as highly as he's been after just a couple playoff starts. I get that Gallon has overperformed this season and he, his stuff really hasn't been that great. But I think Sean brought up a great point in game seven when we were talking about the Rangers, Rangers and the Astros and that the Rangers don't have a bridge from the starting pitching and that middle relief to get to those final three guys that Anthony mentioned. And I wonder what happens to the Rangers in this series if Eovaldi and Montgomery and even Scherzer for that matter can't get to five innings. If they can't get into that sixth inning and the Rangers middle relief has to be exposed to Arizona's lineup. That is where this goes wrong for the Rangers. And that's what Arizona really has to do. They have to work the counts. They have to get high pitch counts on these starting pitchers and get them out before the fourth and fifth inning. Because the reality is, is that since the Rangers don't have that bridge, they're going to let Eovaldi and Montgomery consistently see the order the third time through. Whereas Arizona, they have that bridge with Mantiply and Sal Frank to get to those back three guys that have been so impressive. So if you just look at it from the whole series, uh, from the whole playoff perspective, the Rangers bullpen has a 5.45 X FIP. Now the Diamondbacks are at 4.18. And even if you look at just the NLCS for Arizona, they gave up their bullpen gave up 12 earned runs. Six of them came in the 10, nothing blowout in game two. So their bullpen has been really, really impressive when they're able to strategize and use it correctly the way that they want to. So like Sean said, I almost would give Arizona an advantage here in terms of the bullpen. Uh, and then for starting pitching, Merrill Kelly has pitched really, really well. I'm looking at game two. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Jordan Montgomery probably should be a pretty significant favorite because of how well he's pitched in this playoffs. But for, so I, I, there is one bet that I do like for this world series. Now the Rangers obviously have a huge advantage offensively. Like there's no sugarcoating that like it's, it's pretty, pretty massive. And that's why they're this big of favorites, but if you want to play this series and you're like, I don't really like the series price. Like I don't really want to lay the huge number with, with the Rangers or I'm not really, you know, like, like I, I don't really want to play Arizona. You can play if you like Arizona here in game one, which I know Sean has already bet them and I have bet them as well. If you want to bet Arizona to win game one and then Texas to win the series, there is a double price out there at plus three ninety. So as we go deeper into the series, and even in game three, where I think that Arizona does have a pretty big advantage given how well Fott has pitched so far in this playoffs, and then in game four, when you could give a bullpen advantage, but as we get deeper into these playoffs and the and the, and the Diamondbacks have to face this Rangers lineup, a very deep lineup that can continually hit them, uh, that is the worry. Can Arizona offensively keep up if the Rangers just keep, just keep hitting? So uh, for me, the only thing I've played – I played Arizona at plus 155 because I only made Texas 57% for the series to win it. Um, so I had a pretty decent edge there. Um, but again, if you like Arizona in game one and you think that Eovaldi is overvalued and you still like the Rangers to win the series overall because of how good their offense is, I think plus 390 is a pretty good price on Arizona to win game one and the Rangers to win the series. Okay, good segue because we uh, we have you three today, Tanner and Charlie tomorrow. So let's... Dive into uh, to game one a bit here, Zarillo, with Evaldi Gowan, the pitching matchup. Uh, the line for tomorrow's game, Diamondbacks at BetMGM, plus 140 on the money line. Rangers minus 165. Totals at eight. 
Uh, I think you have a player prop that you like as well. One that just jumped out to me. I'm curious what you guys think. Zach Gowan, who's walked at least two batters in each of his four postseason starts over one and a half walks is minus 150. And even going back to the end of the regular season, seven of his last eight, uh, seven, yeah, seven of his last eight starts, including the regular season and the postseason, he's walked at least two guys. Um, but where are you going for game one as far as your angles for uh, this World Series? So I made Texas minus 135 in game one. So I would bet Arizona plus 145 or better. You can find plus 145 if you shop around as high as plus 150. But uh, not a play I love, just betting it off of the pricing. I've been on the Evaldi first five since their first playoff game. I've generally been against Zach Gallon this season. So if I'm showing value on Arizona, there's probably value on Arizona. Now, looking at props, going a bit deeper into the matchup, still handicapping this, you know, going through pitch types, arsenals for both pitchers. Anthony and I were talking right before we jumped on about game one umpire DJ Rayburn, bigger strike zone than most. We've seen him in playoff games in the past, get a little bit of uh Twitter heat. If you just Google DJ Rayburn playoff strike zone, I'm sure you'll find some results from his past performances. Uh, that makes me less inclined to take the under on strikeouts for Eovaldi or Gallon in game one, less inclined to take the over on walks for Eovaldi and Gallon in game one. Those would be the directions I'd point. I think both of these guys are going to get a fairly long leash and pitch pretty deep into this game. So I generally like their over props, probably over on outs recorded for Eovaldi. When that pops up, um, you know, if it's 15 and a half, 16 and a half, it's where it starts to get questionable. But uh, I think I'd bet over 15 and a half on Eovaldi. Um, but yeah, the, the walks and strikeout props with the umpire, the game one umpire in particular, makes it a little bit difficult to bet okay. the one angle i'm considering betting as of now uh and you got to figure out how the diamondbacks want to attack this rangers lineup obviously it's a very deep lineup but they basically were bypassing schwarber and harper by the end of the series and also zach gallon in particular after he gave up the home runs to schwarber and harper in game one stopped throwing pitches in the strike zone to schwarber and harper over the remainder of the series the rest of the at-bats he had in game one all of the at-bats in game five, he basically refused to offer them pitches in the strike zone. So to me, I think it's very possible that the Diamondbacks just look at Corey Seager and say, same deal with Harper. We're not going to let you beat us in this series. It's much more difficult when you have guys like Evan Carter and Adolis Garcia behind him in a much deeper lineup. But I think at some point too, Gallon's probably going to look to pitch around Seager. And you'd rather attack Evan Carter, who has a bit less power, a lot of great plate approach, but a bit less power than Seager and try to pound him in the zone and make him beat you than you would knowing Corey Seager, if you put a ball in the zone, is almost certainly going to beat you. So Seager to walk, plus 135. We were getting closer to about plus 180 earlier in that Rangers series, earlier in the uh, the Rangers-Astros series until they started pitching around him a little bit. But even getting plus 135, plus 130, I got as high as plus 145 before game one. I like that down to about plus 120, even plus 115. Seager to get a walk in game one, even with this bigger strike zone. I think there's a chance that Gallon continues to pitch around the lefties. So uh, Seager, Evan Carter, uh, those are probably the two guys I'd be most interested to walk, especially with the amount of full counts and three, two counts, three ball counts that Carter gets himself into. There's just a lot of potential for him to just grind out a walk by being patient with the way he approaches at bats. So uh, yeah, Seager, Evan Carter, both to walk, I think in game one. I'd rather bet those at plus money rather than betting gallon over one and a half walks at minus 140 or what have you. I think I think that's just a better approach to take the plus money on the guys 
who he's likelier to walk. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Debundo, uh, direction you might be heading in for game one, which again is Friday, game two Saturday, series shifts to Arizona Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, of next week. Of course, as long as the series continues. Debundo, game one angles, what do you got? Yeah, I think, you know, we don't have lines up yet as of Thursday, but I'm looking at pitching outs overs. You know, you saw Zach Gallen in game one in Philadelphia struggle, right? Gave up three home runs in the first two innings, got in trouble in the fourth. And Lavolo did not even think about pulling him from that game mm. until the end of the fifth inning, right? He was going to get those five innings out of him. So even if Gallen has to wear it a little bit, if he's not great, they're going to let him wear it because they can't tax the bullpen, overly tax the bullpen on the road in game one knowing how long the series is. And I think the opposite is true or the same is true in, in the opposite for the Rangers with Uvalde. So I think Sean's directly right there. Like we don't have lines up yet, but uh, even at 15 and a half, I think I'm over on gallon in uh, and, and Uvalde because I think they will see the third time through, right? Like the, as we get later in this series, I will be looking to play unders. I think there's a good chance that the market is still missing on just how effective the run prevention is for the, for the Diamondbacks right now and how good this high leverage is right now. But uh, I think early in the series, when starters are going to have longer leashes and teams are going to punt more games, I'm going to be less likely to look to play unders. So I think right now, game one, no bet for me on the side or the total. Like I said, I'm kind of down on Gallon, but I still will be looking to play his over because I think he wears a bad outing if he's not great on, on, on uh, Friday. Yeah, I think until we get to the bullpen games in game four, these starters go long, right? Like once once you get to the bullpen games, all bets are off. And then you I think have game, the game, game, game three would be interesting because you could start to. It's still, for me, it's still the first of three consecutive days of games. Right. And that's where it gets tough. Like you can't burn out the bullpen in game three for games four and five. But yeah, like I, I know what you mean. That's where it starts to turn. But yeah, definitely games one and two. I think overs are pretty, pretty much. Uh, the the only way to go. Like I would, I wouldn't even consider unders for game one and game two pitchers. I mean, the, the game scripts too are fascinating because that game two of the NLCS, the fact that the Phillies blew it open, the D backs must be thinking, let's just survive and get through the night and save our yeah. high, save our high leverage arms. Like I think that that played a part in it too, that they could preserve their bullpen to some degree. I know when you lose 10, nothing, you're going to have to go to some other arms, but at that point you're just kind of punting on the game and right. moving forward to preserve going forward. And that's kind of something, you know, that's what, I mean, we did the game three pod and, um, you know, I bet Arizona and I was like, I don't care if they won two, nothing or 10, nothing. Like none of the pitchers who gave up all the runs are going to pitch in this game for Arizona. So it doesn't really matter right. if the Phillies yeah. win by a hundred or 10 or two. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a new day. Momentum is not real in baseball. I'm sorry. It's just not momentum. You could argue it's not real in sports at all. It's kind of just like a figment of people's imaginations, but like watch the games and figure out who's pitching the next day. And depending on how they pitch, we'll determine who has the quote unquote momentum in a series. And, you know, so if the, if the Dimebacks lose eight zero in game one, it has no bearing whatsoever on game two, in my view. So that's I mean, the reality of the betting Al baseball. The Altuve home run to extend the the series with Texas. And then immediately, uh, you know, they fall there in, in game set. Like it's, you would have assumed the Astros would win the series coming off of that drama. Right. And, anything about that so and yeah i Phillies think uh, were the unbeatable champions of the world after game two and then mm -hmm. their bats go quiet so adjustments happen and and uh yeah this french drum throwback to last season when we were like hey this guy's doing some good work with the arizona pitching staff and now it's like well they're in the world series
This is reminding me like an NBA comp, like LeBron James when he's in the NBA Finals. He just he just punts on game one. It's a, it's a process game. Um, it's like kind of that same thought process if it doesn't go well. But again, 10-0, uh, quite draft. I'm curious if the games are tighter and it's winnable, is Lavello a little bit more aggressive? But you're, you guys make good points. Uh, I just want to make one more point before we, before we throw it to BJ for his game one analysis. Uh, so rematch, right? Game game five, presumably. We're going to get the same pitching matchup, Gallon and Montgomery, yeah. but in Arizona. So taking the derivative of this line with Texas at minus 160, Texas should be minus 115 on the road in game five. And Arizona should be about uh, closer to, let's see, 48.6. Arizona should be closer to plus 105, plus 106. So minus 115 Texas, plus 105 Arizona with Arizona at home in game five, assuming we get the same pitching matchup. Just look out for those price targets. Texas is winning the series. Maybe you get closer to minus 125 and plus 115, and we get more value on Arizona there. So just keep an eye out on that game five line, assuming we get the same matchup. Interesting. Okay. All right, BJ, what do you got? Game one, what do you have for us? Yeah, so I've already bet Arizona at plus 145, made the Rangers minus 120, minus 127 here. The one thing I'll say about Eovaldi, if you look at his splits throughout the whole season, he's been pretty bad against right-handed batters. 334 weighted on base average allowed to them around 250 to lefties. Arizona is only going to have two lefties in their lineup to face him uh, through this first game. So if you want an advantage for Arizona offensively, even though they haven't hit right-handed pitching that well throughout the whole season, that could be an angle of how they have success here. And again, like we've already mentioned, the back end three guys at the end of the end of the bullpen for Arizona are really, really good. And even if they do let Gallon go a little bit longer, if they can just get to Ryan Thompson, Ginkle, and Seawald, I mean, those guys have been absolutely lights out. Now, obviously, the Rangers have a big-time offensive advantage, and Gallon hasn't been pitching very well, but I just think they're a little bit overvalued here, especially in game one. Uh, so I took Arizona uh, at plus 145. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Payoff Pitch presented by BetMGM. 
Use the bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $1,500 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, real quick. uh, Just curious if you guys have thoughts on World Series MVP. Because I think Mm, that's a market that people are interested in. And they'll sink their teeth into that for the entire series. Corey Seager is your front runner at BetMGM plus 500. Adolis Garcia plus 600. Corbin Carroll plus 950. Marte plus 950. And then so on and so forth. Zarello, any angle on MVP? in terms of how the series might play out. Nathan Evaldi at around 18 to one. I know I said I bet Arizona in game one, but if the series does go seven games, you're very likely to get Evaldi pitching three times, likely in relief in game seven. There's a possibility that they pitch him on short rest in games one, four and seven. I think it's likelier he starts games one and five and pitches out of relief in game seven, like he sort saw Jordan Montgomery do in the ALCS. So the blueprint's already there for Bruce Bochy. Start your game one starter, pitch him in relief in game seven. Pitches three times in the series. He gets two wins, gets some strikeouts in game seven. Absolutely capable of winning the award and also a guy who racks up a lot of strikeouts too. Uh, The other guys I would take a look at, the other guy in particular I'd take a look at, probably Christian Walker or Lourdes Gurriel from the Diamondbacks. I think if the Diamondbacks are going to steal this series, didn't necessarily happen against the Phillies, but I think against the team with so much power like Texas, they probably need one of Gurriel or Walker to hit a few home runs in this series. And if they hit a few home runs, they should be very much within consideration winning the award. So the two biggest power guys on their team, not necessarily the two guys at the top of the lineup, Ketel Marte and Corbin Carroll, who are going to be getting the hits and the steals, but the guys who can kind of match Texas in terms of the power output, maybe Christian Walker and Lourdes Gurriel. I think they have the most power on this Arizona team. So those are the two guys I consider poking for props uh not only for mvp but also maybe for home run leader or rbi leader for the series as well and then gabby marino to 22 to 1 for rbi leader for the series i think is interesting it's the amount of times that he could be hitting with Cattell or corbin carroll on second base should have a lot of rbi opportunities to how about yourself as far as it makes sense why if it's going to be a diamond back it's probably going to be an offensive player it's you got to really search for a pitcher like kelly merrill kelly's uh plus 5000 um same question as far as MVP or series leaders in the offensive department. Yeah, I like the Moreno bet a lot. And that's one that I immediately popped on. Like if you watched uh, they, how they started to change their approach against the Phils, it was if we get Marte or Carroll on first, we're going to be aggressive and try to steal second. And they were able to do that. Moreno puts a lot of balls in play. That is a major key. Also, Perdomo has been getting on base a good amount at the bottom of that lineup. Kind of a switch guy that they can, uh, you know, grind out a couple of singles, get on base and then wreak havoc on the bases. Like, so he walks three, a lot Perdomo. Yeah. Three speed demons in front of, uh, whatever you want to say, Cattell Marte, three guys who are plus speed, uh, on the bases in front of a guy who puts the ball in play a lot. So I think Moreno is absolutely the play there, especially if they're going to pitch around Seager and, and, and worry about Adolis. Uh, you know, if they do that, then Seager is going to have very few RBI opportunities at the same level that he normally would. So, uh, it kind of does put a lot of pressure on, on Adelis Garcia, but you know he could just hit a bunch of home runs again and then win it. But at 22 to 1, I, I think Moreno is the certainly the play. Um, I have not bet the World Series market. I very rarely actually do it. I just think it's so like incredibly random that you have to have like a really good read on the script. 
to figure out how this goes. And I don't have anybody who like immediately pops out for me. You know, Walker is interesting. He was really bad against high velocity against the Phillies. The Rangers don't have that same level of high velocity. Also, he didn't have problems with high velocity all year. So it's kind of weird that he just all of a sudden couldn't hit the high fastball anymore. Um, so that will be interesting, especially if he gets some matchups with Chapman, which I do expect like he could hit a high profile home run or two. Um, that would probably be his, his best way to impact us. BJ, take us home. Yeah, so it's just some historical context for the World Series MVP for people out there. I like this. I feel like we're talking to Brandon Anderson now, giving us the <laughs> breakdown. So since 2004, starting pitchers have won the award. It's Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling shared it in 2001. Josh Beckett in 2003 after pitching a complete game shutout against the Yankees in game six. Cole Hamels in 2008. Madison Bumgarner in 2014. And Steven Strasburg in 2019. And... One thing that I looked at when I was looking at all, you know, all the hitters historically who have won it and everything since 2000, only three hitters who were on the winning team and won the award did not lead their team and waited on base average during the World Series. It was Ben Zobrist in 2016, David Eckstein in 2006, and Manny Ramirez in 2004, which the Red Sox swept the Rockies and hit everything. So it was kind of just take your pick at that point. So if you're looking for somebody on both teams, obviously it's Corey Seager. Dolores Garcia, Marcus Simeon for the Rangers. For the Diamondbacks, the three guys who led them and waited on base average during the regular season were Corbin Carroll, Kettle Marte, and Christian Walker. During the postseason, Kettle Marte has a 416 weighted on base average. That is by far and away the best on the Diamondbacks from this. And to uh, Sean and Anthony's point, Gabriel Moreno is third, and Pordomo, I believe, is uh, fourth on the Diamondbacks. So if you want to take a long shot, those two guys are in that type of range where they can cause some havoc. Also, uh, Moreno nine RBIs leads the Diamondbacks this postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, so that RBI bet for 23 to one is fantastic. Yeah. Um, Marte, I really like Marte for World Series MVP and to lead the World Series in hits. You can find MVP at 10 to one. You can find hits at 11 to one. He's a switch hitter. So there's no going to be no split uh, advantage either way because he's got over a 350 weighted on base average versus both lefties and righties. And he's going to be at the top of the order, obviously has been their best offensive player so far in this entire postseason. So uh, I think he should probably be the favorite if you're picking somebody from Arizona over Corbin Carroll to be the favorite to win the World Series or to win the MVP for them. Um, so at 11 to 1, um, again, it's not. It's probably not going to be a starting pitcher from the Diamondbacks that wins uh, World Series MVP for them. So if you're looking for a hitter, Perdomo, Moreno, or Marte, I think are your three options or best options. Uh, for Arizona. And so also some historical context, I would not take a reliever. Um, only two relievers have ever won the World Series MVP. It was Mario Rivera in 1989 and Raleigh Fingers in 1974. So um, I don't think we have a Mario Rivera, Raleigh Fingers type reliever in the back end of these bullpens who can uh, honestly win that award. And given how you know offensive it looks like this series is going to potentially be, um, that's probably not going to happen. So just I would tell people to steer away from a reliever. And so we'll all be celebrating Paul Seawald winning the. I would love that. I was going to say that would be a hell of a story considering that they got him at the deadline. And he probably thought before he got traded, he was going to be in the playoffs with the Mariners. And there he was closing out game seven. Yeah. He'll get four or pitch, you know, four games, four saves, you know, not allow a hit to strike everybody out and he'll be MVP. My, my actually my reliever who would win the MVP would be Ryan Thompson. Uh, Because he's the guy who's going to go two innings for them. So if he goes two innings three separate times and shuts all of them down, 
possible he gets a couple wins in the series. But yeah, is there if a market was, offer like, Ryan bet, Thompson early pitcher to, to win MVP? MVP? It would be Ryan Thompson just because of the, the usage and the longevity. Is is there a market up on Ryan? This is like a Ranger Suarez, Colin uh, Colin Whitchurch level handicap. I feel like. Like if he picked Ranger Suarez, he's like, well, Ranger Suarez will pitch in the World Series. I'll have to look, but there are no relievers. Huh. Only relievers that are up right now are Spores and Leclerc. They're both 250 to 1. You know, I'm sorry to rub it in, uh, Debundo. That dude, Genkel, was a badass in that game seven. I mean, he came in and was lights out. I would love to see him get more opportunities in high leverage situations, which the probably game. will happen. Here's the thing, right? And this is the beauty of the sport. He threw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle in a 2-1 count to Bryce Harper. And he didn't swing. No, no, he swung. He hit it. I think it was 109 off the bat, 44-degree launch angle, and, and Bryce Harper talked about it after the game, and he was like... Was that to like, left he, center? Was that the left center it one? Was the, that was, well, he hit one to the wall in the fourth in, fifth inning off Mantiply. Uh, right. He hit one. It was a routine fly to center for, for, uh, for yes. Thomas. Yes. Right. So, you know, it's the seventh inning, and it's a much worse pitch than the one that Harper hit the home run on last year off, off Robert Suarez. That was a great pitch that he threw to, to Harper. And he said, you know, he beat my barrel by less than a 10th of a second. And if he gets the, you know, if it's a 35 degree launch angle, instead of a 44 degree launch angle, the Phillies lead five, four, and the game's probably over with Wheeler on the mound. So that's the beauty of the sport. And uh, you know, he threw it, he threw it right down the middle. And that's not something I would recommend to Bryce Harper, but give, give him credit, big balls, ginkle. Uh, to do that at Bryce Harper uh, with two guys on in the bottom of the seventh, leading by two runs and two outs in the biggest game of his life. So, yeah, Ginkle was money. Uh, then the eighth inning, he came in and just m- murdered our three, you know, bad hitters right now that wanted to swing at everything. So, yeah, credit to him. But, yeah, that was the mo- that was the moment, right? Like, Harper hits the ball off the bat. You could tell he missed it. But, like, if he gets a little more of it, it's gone. So, that's the no, game, of game four was the moment. I'm tired of people talking about game six and seven. They blew the series in game four. Yep. That too. They blew the five, series two in, in the seventh I'm, inning. I'm so sick of people talking about game six and seven and they choked at home. They lost the series in game four. <laughs> they were winning that game. It was over. Arizona that was deserved, the series. Yeah. Arizona deserved to win game six and seven. That's not like the Phillies blew it. Like No, was... the Phillies blew game four. Blew it. Yeah. They choked. I, I think people would, I mean, look, on, on, on one front, like the Phillies scored three runs with a lot of money invested in their lineup in the two closeout games at home. So as bad as game four was, and I agree, that's when the series was lost. They had two chances in their ballpark of which they have not lost a game all playoffs. They were six and oh at the bank this postseason, winning almost all the games by a lot of runs. And it just, just the offense just disappeared. And the other moment was in game seven, Anthony, when, when they pulled out Ranger for Hoffman and I literally texted you and now Carol is going to steal and Hoffman never looked over at him, never threw over, but never even looked at him. And he stole and scored the tying run, winning run at that point. So it was the go-ahead run, yeah, three-two. Yeah, they, they, it was like the most obvious stolen base situation of all time. The moment you pull Suarez out, and they never even looked over at him. I don't know who that's on. If that's on Hoffman, if that's on JT, if that's on the advanced scouting staff. But my God, that was the most yeah. obvious steal situation of all time. And they let Suarez face Carroll three times, which I thought was bad yes. too. But that's enough about the Phillies. I, I wasn't sure we were going to get there in this episode, but there it is, everybody. Your Action Network Phillies post-mortem uh, on the World Series preview episode. Uh, opening day. Yeah, You want to guess who comes to Philly opening day next year? Oh, my God. <laughs> who? The Atlanta Braves. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say like a celebrity or something to make you all feel better. 
No. You meant the schedule. Got it. Yes. Okay. That's enough of that. Uh, Zarello, as you said, you've got your uh, preview coming out uh, in yeah. the app, actionnetwork.com. So stay tuned for that on the written side of things. You can find Zarello, DeBundo, and BJ Cunningham individually in the free award-winning Action Network app. Uh, these guys will be available to you in that way. We will be back next week, of course, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So including tomorrow, four more days, four consecutive weekdays of payoff pitch here on uh, the podcast front. We've got Charlie and Tanner joining me tomorrow for their World Series Game 1 best bets. Again, Game 1 going down tomorrow just after 8 o'clock Eastern in Arlington. That's going to do it for our World Series preview for Zerillo DeBundo and BJ Cunningham, Brendan Glasheen. Thanks for listening to Payoff Pitch, Action Network's MLB betting podcast presented by BetMGM. Back with you tomorrow for Game 1 Previews. Talk to you then. Look at his crowd on its feet. What a tribute. No one wants to leave. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.